You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. The French Revolution set Europe ablaze. It was an age of enlightenment and progress, but also of tyranny and oppression. It was an age of glory and an age of tragedy. One man stood above it all. This was the Age of Napoleon. I'm Everett Rummage, host of the Age of Napoleon podcast. Join me as I examine the life and times of one of the most fascinating and enigmatic characters in modern history. Look for the Age of Napoleon wherever you find your podcasts. Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Explorers Podcast. Today, we have a single episode story, this one surrounding Carthaginian explorer Hanno the Navigator. This is kind of a crazy tale because of how long ago it occurred, way back in the 5th or 6th century BCE. But because it happened so long ago, it makes for a really cool story, because it is one of the first great voyages of exploration ever recorded. Hanno's voyage would take him down the western coast of Africa, perhaps as far as modern-day Gabon, which would translate into a voyage of more than 4,000 miles. But again, because this happened so long ago, what we know about Hanno and his explorations is very, very sketchy. But hey, that is fine. We have done this before. We have some info. We'll do the best we can. We can't ask for anything more than that. So, let us start with a little background on Carthage in the Mediterranean world, circa 4 to 500 BC-ish. At this time, Carthage was emerging as one of the great empires of the era. Originally established around 800 BCE by Phoenician settlers from Tyre, the city would quickly become one of the most important in all of the Mediterranean. A big reason for this was the location. Carthage was on the shore of North Africa in what is modern-day Tunisia. It sat in, roughly, the middle of the Mediterranean, right between the emerging markets in the west and the traditional powers in the east, such as Persia, Egypt, and Greece. Carthage would become a powerful empire in its own right, establishing its own colonies and bases in parts of North Africa, Sicily, Corsica, Sardinia, and Spain. Their navy would rule the seas in the west, and their merchants would ply their trade throughout the Mediterranean. Back in 1913, scholar Wilfred H. Schaff wrote this about Carthage, quote, Carthage was, beyond doubt, the richest city of antiquity. Her ships were to be found on all known seas, and there was no important product, animal, vegetable, or mineral, of the ancient world which did not find its way through her harbors and pass through the hands of her citizens. End quote. That is pretty impressive, and it sets the stage for our story. The year would have been approximately between 425 to 600 BCE, and the Carthaginians had set their eyes beyond the Mediterranean. At this time, they would send one expedition to the northwest, up the coast of Europe to the British Isles, under a man named Himilco. Himilco described his journey as full of dangers and terrors, including sea monsters and storms. This was likely done to deter others from going to these places and cutting in on Carthaginian commerce. Unfortunately, we don't know anything more about Himilco or his expeditions to the north. The Roman author Pliny the Elder said that Himilco and Hanno left on their epic journeys at the same time, but he was writing four to five hundred years later, so we really don't know how accurate that is. And that brings us to Hanno the Navigator, 
he would undertake an expedition down the coast of Africa. His mission was to found new settlements, resupply existing colonies, to trade with the local peoples, and to find other lands and markets and opportunities for the growing Carthaginian Empire. Now, before we dive into our story, I want to take a bit to talk about the sources in today's episode so that you will understand the limitations of our narrative. The primary source we have regarding Hanno and his exploration is a periplus. A periplus is a document that lists the ports and coastal landmarks of a voyage in order and with approximate intervening distances. With this information, a captain of a vessel would know what to expect as they sailed along a shore. It was similar to a ship's log. Upon his return to Carthage, Hanno hung a periplus of his journey in the temple of Baal Haman. This would have been a stone tablet with the details inscribed on it. The full title of the periplus, translated from Greek, is The Voyage of Hanno, Commander of the Carthaginians, Round the Parts of Libya, Beyond the Pillars of Hercules, which he deposited in the Temple of Kronos. Yeah, that is a mouthful. Hanno probably should have used an editor for that one. By the way, if you notice, the title mentioned the Temple of Kronos. Yet Kronos is a Greek figure, and I had just said that Hanno placed the periplus at the Temple of Baal-Haman. Well, the reason for this oddity is that we don't have the original periplus, which would have been written in Punic or Phoenician. Instead, the periplus was copied by others and eventually translated into Greek, but not until the 5th century. And thus, you can see how the translations have been corrupted. The original title would have said Baal-Haman, but Baal-Haman was a Phoenician deity. Thus, the Greek writers, instead of keeping the original, replaced Baal-Haman with a Greek figure they considered to be equivalent in nature. Thus, you get Greek gods appearing in a Carthaginian tale. So just be prepared, because we will have a lot of weird things like this. Also, it is important to know that the translation we have is incomplete, so what survived is an abridged version. And who knows what other details were altered or omitted over the centuries. This Greek translation was then copied by others, again, meaning there were probably more changes and omissions along the way. Today, we have only two copies of the Periplus, one from the 9th century and another from the 14th century. This means that our primary source is a copy of a copy of a copy, and so on, more than a thousand years removed from when the original was created. So, as you can see, it makes for some fun times. I want to note that the Periplus was referenced by ancient writers, including Pliny the Elder and Herodotus, and we will add their notes to our story. And one final comment about the Periplus. The information published was probably never that accurate in the first place. Remember, the Carthaginians were the trading machines of the ancient world. They were protective of their sources, not unlike the Portuguese in the Age of Discovery. Their trade routes and sources were immensely valuable, and it's unlikely they would have publicly posted a document telling everyone all the exact details about their super-secret expedition down the coast of Africa. They would likely have made things vague and altered some details to keep people from exploiting the information. So that is what we are going to draw upon for this episode. Everything we know is suspect, but whatever. This is a cool story, so we will just do the best with what we have. And that takes us to the star of our story, Hanno the Navigator. Hanno is referred to a king by ancient sources. Now, that does not necessarily mean quite what we think it means. Remember, this was a translation into Greek. The term king, as used by the Greeks, was commonly employed to describe a high-ranking official. Sufit was probably a better term. In Carthage, the Sufit would have been equivalent to the chief magistrate or Roman consul. No matter, for us, it demonstrates that Hanno was a man of influence and stature. But beyond that, we know nothing about him, except for his voyage. Here we go. As noted, this voyage would be down the western coast of Africa, starting near the Straits of Gibraltar, which were called the Pillars of Hercules at this time. Now, before we outfit Hanno's fleet, let us ask, why? 
why would the Carthaginians be interested in expanding their influence down the coast of Africa? The answer, as it is in almost all cases, is money. Even around 4 to 500 BCE, there was a robust trade network stretching across northern Africa. Salt, ivory, slaves, and gold were some of the commodities gathered from the region. Gold, in particular, was highly valued. The Carthaginians had already established some colonies along the western coast of Africa in what is present-day Morocco. These were probably not large, no more than a thousand people, and had been established as safe havens for Carthaginian merchant ships. So, we will see that Hanno's job was to reinforce some of the existing colonies on the coast, establish new ones, and explore further south in search of new opportunities. And with that, let us get Hanno set to explore. Hanno was said to have assembled 60 oared ships for this venture, as well as 30,000 people. This latter number is likely not correct. 30,000 people could not have fit on 60 ships from this era. Those numbers were probably exaggerated by Hanno or later translators. A more realistic number would probably have been around 5,000. The ships would be loaded with personnel, trade goods, and supplies. The fleet would probably have consisted of mostly merchant vessels, but there would have been some Carthaginian warships as well for protection. The merchant ships of Carthage would likely have been similar to the designs used by their ancestors, the Phoenicians. These would have been quite large and heavy, with two banks of oars and a single large sail. They would have had wide, big-bellied hulls, capable of carrying over 400 tons of cargo. There were smaller merchant ships as well, with only one bank of oars, along with a horse head on the prow and a single sail. These weren't great for long distances, but they would have been valuable to sail up rivers or getting close to the shore in the shallows. But let us understand, none of these ships were designed as ocean-going vessels. They could sail the calmer waters of the Mediterranean just fine, but in the Atlantic, they would stick to the coast as often as possible. Hanno would travel from Carthage to the port of Gadir, which is now Cadiz, in Spain. It is just 50 miles northwest of the Pillars of Hercules. Gadir was a major port for Carthage in the Atlantic. Here, Hanno would assemble his fleet. Now, before we send the fleet to sea, I should note that on our website, explorerspodcast.com, there is a map detailing the voyage of Hanno. I very much recommend you take a look at it. It will really help you enjoy this episode. Also, and this is really important, I have to remind you that every step in Hanno's journey is questionable. Thus, I am going to tell this story by conveying what I think is the best answer as to the locations described by Hanno. This means for every location brought up by Hanno, I am not going to say, well, this could have been this place, or this place, or this other place. I'm simply going to say, Hanno said he went to this place, which likely means, insert modern equivalent. Otherwise, half the episode is me throwing out a million caveats, explaining why scholars think this one is right, or that one is the best answer, etc., etc. That's just kind of confusing, and to be honest, kind of boring. I like to think of myself as a storyteller, and getting bogged down in weeds such as these just doesn't work for me. So, with that said, let's go. Hanno and his fleet departed from Gadir, sailing down the coast of Africa two days, about 150 miles. Here, they founded a new city, which Hanno called Thymiatirion. This is near the modern-day city of Kanitra, about 25 miles north of Rabat in Morocco. It is important because it is near the mouth of a major river, the Cebu. Now, when I say that Hanno founded a city, we don't know exactly what that means. This could have been a simple trading post, or there could have been actual settlers. We just don't know. By the way, I want to note that Hanno would have had translators with him so he could communicate with the local people, who were mostly Berbers. As we have seen in so many episodes in this podcast, being able to communicate with the local natives is critical to the success of any explorer. Next, the Periplus says that Hanno sailed westward to a place called Soleus. 
After that, he went up a river for half a day to a lake, seeing elephants and other wild animals. Soleas is also known as Mazagan, which is modern-day El Jadida, about 130 miles down the coast from our previous stop. Here you will find the mouth of the Umer Rabia River, which is the second longest river in Morocco. At Soleas, the Carthaginians would dedicate a temple to Poseidon, the Greek god of the sea. Again, remember this was the Greek translation, so they have inserted Poseidon for the god of the sea that the Carthaginians worshipped, probably Yam. Next, Anno says that after visiting the lake, his expedition would go on to found five cities. These were Karakon Tychos, Gaida, Acre, Melida, and Arambis. The best modern-day guesses for these locations are Azamur, El Jadida, Cape Canton, Ulidia, and Esawira, which would mean a range of about 150 miles along the Moroccan coast. This is supported by the presence of Carthaginian artifacts and ruins at each of these locations. And some of these places were known to have been controlled by the Carthaginians at some point because they are mentioned in other sources, such as Ulidia, which was cited by Herodotus. Also, each place would have offered an advantageous location for the Carthaginians, such as a proximity to a river or a good harbor. So at this point, Hanno and his expedition would have traveled down the African coast from the Straits of Gibraltar for about 400 miles. They'd established six new settlements in the process. You can see this was a systematic creation of a trade network, a string of settlements to support one another, and the commerce that would come up and down the African coast. And speaking of commerce, the Carthaginians likely would have been trading with the local people as they went down the coast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hanno then continues the voyage, reaching a large river that he called Lyxos. He noted that there were nomadic peoples nearby, watching over their cattle. The Carthaginians would befriend them and call them Lyxites. Hanno would add some of them to his fleet as translators. This location is the River Dura, which is Morocco's longest river. The Dura empties into the Atlantic, and if you go directly west, you run into the Canary Islands about 150 miles away. The Canaries may have, at some point, been visited by the Carthaginians, but let's remember they were not an ocean-going people. They generally stayed close to the coastlines. Still, it's likely they would have at least heard of the islands or visited them when blown out to sea in a storm. The discovery of the Canaries is credited to King Juba II of Numidia in the 1st century BCE. Juba said that the islands were uninhabited, but he reported finding traces of old buildings, indicating someone had lived there previously. Perhaps it was the Carthaginians, but we just don't know. By the way, King Juba would write a piece titled The Wanderings of Hanno, but sadly nothing has survived of it. As the expedition continued south, Hanno said that the local people were Ethiopians and hostile to the Carthaginians. Ethiopia means people with burned faces, and Ethiopians was a term used to reference any black Africans they encountered. The Parapolis then says the expedition headed south for two more days and left some settlers on an island in a small bay. They called this settlement Kern. 
The location of Kern is pretty vague, but the spot that many point to is the Bay of Arguin on the Mauritanian coast. This is much further away than just a two-day journey, but there is evidence that the number in the parable should have been 12, not 2, an easy mistake that could have happened in the translation centuries ago. Accepting that, Hanno would now be 1,300 miles from the Straits of Gibraltar. Next, the expedition continued south, where they came to three islands and a bay. This is probably the Tidra archipelago off the Mauritanian coast. At the end of the bay was a great overhang, where the Carthaginians were met by savage humans wearing animal skins. They flung rocks at the explorers from above, forcing Hanno and his men to move on. The next location noted by Hanno was a large, broad river filled with crocodiles and hippos. This is the Senegal River. This was a major river that today forms the border between Senegal and Mauritania. Because the river reached into the heart of the gold-producing region of Ghana, it would later be called the River of Gold. And gold was precisely what the Carthaginians had come for. The Greek historian Herodotus, who had access to Hanno's original report, described how the Carthaginians traded for gold with the native peoples, despite the inability of the two sides to communicate with one another. Let's hear what Herodotus had to say about it. Quote, the Carthaginians tell of a place in Libya outside the Pillars of Hercules, inhabited by people to whom they bring their cargoes. The Carthaginians unload their wares and arrange them on the beach. Then they reboard their ships and light a smoky fire. When the native inhabitants see the smoke, they come to the shore and, after setting out gold in exchange for the goods, they withdraw. The Carthaginians disembark and examine what the natives have left there. And if the gold appears to them a worthy price for their wares, they take it into part. If not, they get back in their boats and sit down to wait until the natives approach again and set out more gold until they satisfy the Carthaginians that the amount is sufficient. End quote. By the way, the Greeks pretty much used the term Libya interchangeably with Africa. So, Hanno and his expedition had now traveled more than 1,600 miles. Up to this point, the Carthaginians seemed to have had an agenda. They were founding towns, likely resupplying some other existing ones. Plus, they were trading with the native people, acquiring valuable goods, including gold. But now, things seem to change. There will be no more settlements built or visited. Instead, going forward, this appears to be very much a voyage of discovery. And that makes sense. The Carthaginians were aggressive in expanding their trade network, and pushing down the coast of Africa was a logical step for them. So Hanno would go down the coast for another 12 days, covering around 900 miles. He noted that his translators were unable to communicate with the locals. This would likely mean that he had reached the area around Sierra Leone in Liberia, where the crew language was widespread. And from here, after another two more days, the Carthaginians reached Cape Palmas, the border of modern-day Liberia and the Ivory Coast. It is also where the African coastline makes a hard turn to the east. To the south, Hanno would have seen nothing but ocean. This was the Gulf of Guinea. Hanno was now 2,800 miles south of the Straits of Gibraltar. The Carthaginians would continue east along the African coast for another 1,000 miles. They would come upon a large island where they would disembark. This was probably one of the many islands found in the Niger River Delta. Here, the Periplus provides us with some great details of the fleet's experience. Hanel would write, quote, In daytime, we could see nothing but the forest, but during the night, we noticed many fires alit and heard the sounds of flutes, the beating of cymbals and tom-toms, and the shouts of a multitude. We grew afraid, and our diviners advised us to leave this island. End quote. The next comment from Hanno is one of the most striking in his voyage. He said they sailed further down the coast, and he and his crew had this vision. Quote, Sailing on for four days, we saw the coast by night full of flames. In the middle was a big flame, taller than the others, and apparently rising to the stars. 
By day, this turned out to be a very high mountain, which was called Chariots of the Gods. End quote. I love that description. It is a volcano spewing flames. The awe that Hanno and his men must have felt to name something the Chariot of the Gods must have been immense. The most likely candidate for this mountain is Mount Cameroon, which is called Manga Maloba by the natives, meaning Seat of the Gods, which is equally impressive. Next, the fleet would head south again as the coastline turned. Three days later, they would reach Carisco Bay, where today we find Libreville, the capital of Gabon. It is also the endpoint of Hanno's famous voyage. However, before we turn Hanno and his fleet around, we need to recount what is probably the most famous event from his voyage. In the Periplus, he wrote the following about a group of wild savages. Quote, Most of them were women with hairy bodies, whom our interpreters called gorillas. Although we chased them, we could not catch any males. They all escaped, being good climbers who defended themselves with stones. However, we caught three women who refused to follow those who carried them off, biting and clawing them. So we killed and flayed them and brought their skins back to Carthage. End quote. These were the first recorded encounters that Europeans had with gorillas. Of course, they may not have been gorillas. They could have been another species of ape or monkey. Pliny the Elder wrote that the gorilla furs were exhibited in the temple of the goddess Tanit until Carthage was destroyed by the Romans in 146 BCE. So Hanno, at this point, stated that the expedition could go no further as their provisions were running low. The Greek historian Arian of Nicomedia, who lived in the first century, wrote, quote, He, Hanno, fell in with every sort of difficulty, want of water, blazing heat, and fiery streams running into the sea. End quote. The last item would likely have been a reference to the erupting volcano witnessed by Hanno and his crew. From the Straits of Gibraltar, the Carthaginian fleet had traveled around 4,300 miles, much of it into unknown waters, a truly epic feat. It is one of the longest recorded voyages of exploration in antiquity. And let's not forget, Hanno had to get back. That means his fleet will actually have to travel closer to 9,000 miles. The return north would have been a difficult one. There are natural winds and currents that take a ship south along the coast, but coming back north, that's a different story. It would have been a slow process, and their nearest base was at least 2,500 miles away. But Hanno did get back, and triumphantly put up the parapus at the Temple of Baal Haman, crowing to the world about his accomplishments. And that pretty much ends the story of Hanno the Navigator and his voyage. So, let us do some wrap-up on this story. For this, we will talk about the following. 1. The historical ramifications of Hanno's voyage. 2. Some of the caveats about this story that we have not brought up this far. And 3. A wrap-up of the life and legacy of Hanno the Navigator. So, first thing, what were the historical ramifications of Hanno's voyage? Well, you probably would have seen the solidification of the Carthaginian trade network down the African coast. However, historically, it's doubtful that the Carthaginians established any permanent bases beyond what they already visited or were founded by Hanno. There is just no archaeological evidence of Carthaginian settlements that existed south of what is modern-day Morocco. Now, that does not mean that there weren't some places, but these were probably smaller trading outposts, which left little evidence of their existence once they were abandoned. However, the one thing that the Carthaginians would definitely have taken advantage of was the trade for gold. It was yet another way to make Carthage very, very wealthy. And we should note that the gold of West Africa will hold an allure to European and Asian powers for a couple of thousand years. In the end, Hanno's voyage would help make Carthage one of the great powers of the classical world, a power that would be maintained until their defeat by the upstart Romans a few centuries later. Second thing for our wrap-up is some caveats, stuff that bugs historians and scholars about this story. 
The obvious thing that bugs people is that we are putting an awful lot of faith into one sketchy document and a few comments from ancient authors. Some argue that the whole story is a myth. However, most scholars feel there are some serious elements of truth to the whole thing. And as I said at the start, everything we discussed is up for debate. The exact endpoint of Hanno's voyage has been hotly debated for ages. Some argue that Hanno got only as far as Sierra Leone, still pretty good for the time, but not nearly as impressive. No matter what you think about this or other things in this story, I encourage you to look at it if it interests you. Most of this information is online, and I put links to these resources on our website, explorerspodcast.com. And with that, that gets us to our final wrap-up point, the star of our show, Hanno the Navigator. Well, to be honest, this section is pretty simple. He's gone. We know nothing about him after his voyage. Because the Periplus was hung for centuries at the Temple of Baal al-Haman, we can probably assume that he was celebrated for what he had done, and that there are references to Hanno by contemporaries such as Herodotus demonstrates how widely told and celebrated were the tales of his voyage. The big bummer of all of this was that the original Periplus, or a more complete copy, does not exist. But we will take what we have. At least we have something. Sadly, there are probably many great stories of exploration that are simply lost to history because we don't have the documentation about them. No matter, what we have is still pretty amazing. And because of that, we can say that Hanno is one of the first great explorers in the history of the world. And that's pretty cool. And while Hanno is 2,500 years removed from this world, he still shows up in pop culture here or there. But probably the greatest way that we remember him is that there is a lunar crater that bears his name. Again, pretty cool. So that is it, the story of Hanno the Navigator, the Carthaginian explorer who led an expedition more than 4,000 miles down the African coast in one of the earliest voyages of exploration ever recorded. I hope you liked today's episode. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.